Come join the conversation, the show that you've been wanting. Keep it real with no filter. Weekly we share discussions. WWSD interviewing creative guests, talking the creative process and sharing all the influences from TV and film. Emmy nominated and winning. Yeah, they coming through. Actors and comedians too. Directors and writers, we're more than a few. Masters of their craft. Yes, tune in. You gotta see this the podcast that you need. WWSD. Welcome to the WWSD podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. We are sponsored by Collectors Maze. You can check them out at collectorsmaze.com for all things related to fandom. I'm your host, Josh, and as always, I'm joined by my buddy and co host, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? It's going great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Awesome. So, who do we have on tonight? Oh, man. Tonight, we have a very special guest. We are joined by Alec Sulkin, writer, producer, and voice actor. Alec is best known for his work on the popular show Family Guy. You guys might have heard of it. He's also co wrote Ted and Ted 2. And he's the host of an awesome podcast, a typical disgusting display, a podcast for writers by writers who hate writing. <laughs> Alec, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast tonight. How's it going? Oh, great, guys. Thanks so much for having me. What what an intro. I whenever I hear <laughs> intros of myself, I'm like, wow, am I do I ever feel like that guy? <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, maybe I am successful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy that we three beards could get together on this uh Saturday night. Oh, I don't mean to timestamp it, but it is a Saturday night. <laughs> it is a Saturday night, yeah. How'd you get started in writing? Well, when I was in college, I started to have these thoughts of like, well, what am I going to do when I get out of college? Like most people do. And I wasn't, didn't have the work ethic to do too many things, but luckily I had a summer internship at my uncle, uh, had this sports marketing company in New York city. And so in the summers I would go and work there and it was, you know, again, even that, which sounds kind of fun was a little bit like mind numbing for me, but one of the guys who worked there used to be an NBC executive. And he said, you know, if maybe next year you'd want to think about doing an internship at Saturday Night Live, like I know some of the people over there. And I said, absolutely. (laughs) So, you know, I think he was just able to get my resume kind of at the top of of a certain pile over there. So I was able to get a job interning at Saturday Night Live while I was still in college. That's awesome. that's awesome. Yeah. And that was obviously just a dream. What what year was that? That was okay. So that was 94, 95. Okay. So that so, that was that was like uh, Jim Brewer was on during that time. Well, it was right before that. Right so before my, that? Okay. my first year as an intern was the very last year of like uh Chris Farley and David okay. Spade. Oh, and man. Like it was that the kind very, of golden age. Yeah. Yeah. Very end of that. And then I was able to turn that from an internship to become writer's assistant there full-time when I graduated college. And that was the Jim Brewer, Will Ferrell, Chris Kattan turnover year. At that point, I was like, well, I want to do this because I watched the writers there and I'm like, this is the life I want to live. I always hear it's so miserable in the writing rooms. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was, it was a relatable kind of misery. And also it was, it was misery with free food. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm down for that. Were you doing any writing at that time as a writer's assistant? You know, I wasn't really, not very much at all. I kind of think that it, because you had a lot to do, like, so you didn't have that much free time. And I was just kind of caught up in the world of like, I can't believe I'm at Saturday Night Live and I get to go to <laughs> parties and I can, you know, I see the host is right in front of me and there's like, oh my God, Jim Carrey's in the room with me. 
But what they let me do that year, which was very cool and is still probably of anything that I've ever written, it was probably seen by the most people was, I don't know if you remember, you might be too young, but on Thursday nights when NBC like ruled Thursday night and they had Seinfeld and, you know, friends and all that shit, they used to have a promo for Saturday Night Live during their Thursday night lineup that was like, you know, it was sort of like, hey, I'm David Schwimmer and I'll be hosting Saturday Night Live this weekend with the special musical guest live. And then there'd be like one little joke like they would just <laughs> say. And so they used to let me write those things that were like 15 seconds long. And I saw that as like, oh, McKay, they're 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 letting me write these like soon. I'm going to be on staff there. Then, of course, I got <laughs> fired. But I knew that I had to be like a comedy writer like that was that was what I wanted to do. So what what um what happened that uh that led to you getting fired? Oh God, this story. <laughs> so uh, basically, what happened was first of all, let me preface this because I I've told the story a lot, but I'll preface it by saying I was not a good writer's assistant. <laughs> uh, I was not thorough. I was not you know detail oriented. I was none of those things. But this was back in the day when being a writer's assistant there was not really about like sitting in a room and typing everything down frantically. It was more about organizing dinner. Like it, <laughs> it just, it changed over the years because the writers would go off and write themselves and, you know, they'd write in pads. It wasn't even, they had computers, but people weren't even really using them. So I was kind of like a glorified dinner lunch master. And, but I thought like, fine, I don't mind doing that. If it's going to be like, if I'll get a job as a writer here in a couple of years, I can do that. It turns out, you remember Regis Philbin of Live with Regis and Kathy. Yeah. So his daughter, who's, I guess, a, a, maybe a year or two younger than me, like Regis is like, my daughter, JJ's on the, come here, JJ. And like, she came <laughs> on the show and she's like, JJ, talk to the camera. What do you have to say? And JJ was like, Lauren Michaels, I really want a job at Saturday Night Live. Will you please hire me? So they fired me and hired her in that job. So for years, even though my career was going great, I spent being very angry at uh, Regis Philbin's daughter. And then I met her at a party and she was like perfectly lovely. And she had no idea what I was talking about. So I, I looked like an idiot again. Yeah. So that's basically what happened because it's very hard to get fired from Saturday Night Live. Like there are people who've worked there. Uh, there's a, there, were, there was a sound engineer there who was on crack, burned his office to the ground with a crack pipe when he fell asleep, was not fired, not fired, nothing. Oh you know, like they put the, the office out. They sent him away for a week. He came back, had his job. But me, it was like JJ Philbin wants a job, so we got to get rid of you. That's kind of how that went. <laughs> so it wasn't the greatest start to my career, but at least I got a little time at SNL. What's uh, what's your next move after that? Well, it's interesting because uh, a very good friend of mine uh, who I went to high school with, his name is John Viner. We both were fired from different jobs on the same day. So he was fired from whatever job he had. I was fired from SNL on the same day. And we made a pact with each other. We said, okay, we're going to do stand-up. We're going to we're give ourselves three weeks to write an act. And then we're going to just start doing stand-up. Were you living in New York at the time? I was. Yeah, okay. we both were. So we just said, we'll give ourselves three weeks to write stand-up jokes. We, we did three weeks later, we went up on stage, uh, you know, at a bunch of different shitholes, started doing stand up. <laughs> and once you start 
doing that, you get kind of, you know, you get into the stand-up community and, and there are ways that even if you're not really working, you can pretend that you're working every day with stand-up. It's like, I got to go write stand-up, you know, excuse me. <laughs> and then you would go to an open mic and perform in front of like six people at four in the afternoon. And you'd be like, well, I'm doing it. I'm living the dream. So there were three years of that basically after I got fired from SNL uh, of doing stand-up in New York. And then thankfully I constantly had like a writing sample packets put together because I wanted to do late night. You know, if I couldn't do SNL, I would, I certainly wanted to do like a Letterman type thing. So when the Late Late Show with Craig Kilborn was going to premiere after Letterman and that was in 99, I knew somebody who worked there or who was starting there and he recommended that Craig look at my stuff. And then luckily Craig liked it. So then I got to go out to LA with a job, which was, you know, another sort of dream come true. Did you continue doing stand up when you got out to LA? No. Instantly turned my back on stand up. Could not get away from stand up fast enough. You still don't do any stand up? I don't. And and the thing is, like, I have an immense amount of respect for stand ups. And I just never had the energy be like a proper stand-up because I think that before you do stand-up and even sometimes while you're doing it, you have this idea of like, I'm better than most of these people. And like, I'm funnier <laughs> than this guy and I can be better. But what you don't take into account is like the practice and the energy and like the idea of like having a character for yourself. Like I was not down with that at all. I was not ready to like change myself in any way. And it was kind of the era of like the nineties and everyone was like, blah, and you know, <laughs> no effort. And it was like, Janine Garofalo is going to come up with a notepad and read off it. So I kind of felt like, Oh, I could do that. But meanwhile, I don't write funny jokes as Janine Garofalo. <laughs> and even she with her notepad has a character. I couldn't be bothered to like throw myself commit myself fully to stand up. So the minute I got a writing job, I was like, well, get get out of here, stand up. I don't, I don't need you anymore. Did those three years of stand up uh, improve your writing at all? I think so. Yeah. I think it, if anything, I don't know if it necessarily improved like my writing on the page that much, but I think what it does is it improves your skills for a writer's room. So like when you're in there with the other writers in a writer's room, like you can be fast, you know, that that's a has great value, uh, certainly at stand up, but also in a writer's room. Like if mm -hmm. you can be fast and funny like that, you get extra points for that. So I think stand up helped me in that way. And that when I was around other people, I wasn't afraid to like just come out with it. How, how many how many writers were on staff? Like were you were you with in the room at, at that first job with uh, Craig Kilborn? At Kilborn, it yeah. was not that many. I want to say like maybe eight. Okay. That sounds about right. Like like seven or eight. Obviously, that was my first job, but it was a very fun place. And Craig was awesome to work with. We had a great time. It's interesting. That room was more like you would kind of get together in the morning to sort of discuss what the day was going to be like. But then you'd go off into your separate offices and just come up with whatever you were supposed to come up with. Whereas Family Guy, everybody's, you know, it's a lot of people in a room most of the time and you're working together. And what was like some of the major differences, like writing a late night show compared to like, like writing Family Guy? Like what were like some of the big differences for you? I mean, there are a lot of differences in a lot of ways because, you know, Family Guy obviously being animation, mm -hmm. 
uh, it's much more free, liberating, and that you can kind of come do whatever. Up, yeah, you can kind of come up with any comedic scenario, and they can just draw it. Yeah. And so you don't need a set, you don't need to be lo- on location, you don't need actors and actors, props or nothing. Yeah, late night was good in that it sort of forced you to, although I would hate to do it now, it forced you to keep up with the news. Okay. Like, and don't forget, this was like the late nineties when the news was like, well, whatever. If I watch the news or don't watch the news, it doesn't really matter because everything's fine. You know, what a world we live in. There's no 9-11, you know, the internet's not so bad yet. Like everything's fine. So it was nice to kind of like constantly keep up with what was going on in the world with a comedic twist to it. That was a fun part of late night. How, how long were you at Craig Kilborn at the show? Uh, almost, I would say like two and a half or almost three years. Yeah. What came next after that? So next, my writing partner and I, his name is Wellesley Wild. We're not partners anymore, still friends, but we were working together on Kilborn and we decided that we wanted to go into sitcoms together because the honestly, the financial ceiling of working in sitcoms is much higher than late night. So we made a financial decision for ourselves, like, let's put a couple of spec scripts together. We'll work as a team, hopefully get something. We were lucky enough to get a job on a show that was run by this guy, Mike Scully, who he ran The Simpsons forever. And and he's just an awesome, hilarious guy who I absolutely love to this day. So he gave us our shot on that. And then Seth MacFarlane happened to also be on that writer's staff. So that's where I met him. And that really, you know, turned into the next 17 years of my life. (laughs) (laughs) How long were you guys working together before Family Guy like started up again? We worked together on that show. Uh, It was Mike Scully's show was called The Pits. And it was briefly on Fox. uh, I want to say in like 2002 or three. And then... I think it was only a matter of time. It was like, it was less than a year from that point to when family guy officially came back. Did you like naturally click with like Seth? You guys just initially cool with each other. Okay. Totally. Like, yeah, we got along right away. We're, we're the same age. Um, And at that point we were like the young kids in, in a room. So we, we just got along. We bonded, we, we made each other laugh. And uh, we actually both really like karaoke. <laughs> so we would go out and, and Seth is obviously great at it because he can sing like Sinatra. And so we would go out and get plastered and just like, you know, sing karaoke <laughs> and have fun. And that's I remember we were uh, like smoking a cigarette outside of the karaoke club. And he said, like, yeah, I think they're going to bring Family Guy back. And I'd love to have you come and work on that if you if you're available and i was thinking to myself yeah right i'm sure they're gonna bring that back yeah what else are they bringing back you know some i'd like to work on that too then they i couldn't believe it they brought it back and he was true to his word you know offered me a job and i was like absolutely so what, what was it like writing uh on family guy that was starting out when it when it came back after it'd been canceled It was awesome because like in Hollywood, you just don't have like this idea of job security, like any, any show you're going to write on, you're kind of 80 to 90% sure it's going to (laughs) fail because just most shows do. But with family guy, it was different because it had been canceled twice already. And then, (laughs) you know, there was this groundswell from the fans who bought DVDs and, and watched it on comedy central So when they brought it back, we were all thinking to ourselves like, okay, 
they're not going to cancel it again. They can't. They can't. They'll, they'll just basically be saying that they're idiots and they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> so when we started, when we assembled to write that again, I just remember this feeling of like, I can only compare it to what I would imagine when like a Roman legion would return to Rome after a victorious battle and they're walking through the city gates and people are throwing, you know, rose petals at them. It felt like that, you know, except writing (laughs) fart jokes for Stewie. (laughs) Speaking of writing, though, I mean, was that writing room much different than the previous writing rooms you were in or was it about the same? Well, it's interesting. It was it was different in that it was bigger. You know, there were, there were, it was probably twice the size, at least, of any writer's room I had been in before oh, wow. in terms. Of, you, you mean compared to like SNL's? No, no, no. SNL's was very big, but, but SNL, they have a different process. Again, they don't sit in the room and write and pitch on stuff together. They're very clicky. You know, they'll go off and, and writers will work with one actor or, you know, or vice versa. So they were kind of closed into their offices all the time. Whereas Family Guy, you're in the arena all the time. It's all like a constant. And that was the way it felt too at the beginning, because in the best possible way, it was an incredibly mean room. <laughs> that's right. That's great. Yeah. You could not <laughs> cut like one of my friends who wrote on staff, who writes on staff came in one day and he was wearing like a train conductor's hat, you know, like one of those things. And like he was wearing it like unironically, the amount of shit he got that day. Like I thought he was going to like cry and maybe leave town. Like just there was another guy who came in one time with just simply like a news kind of like a newsies cap. And he's like a little older of a guy. The amount of flack that people get for doing shit like that. That's awesome. You guys are a bunch of jackals. That's so great. great. It's so fun. And like it it was it was it really kept you on your toes and it was a very fun place to work comics is um not, not much is sacred right what's the what's the room like as far as like is every everything goes is there anything off limits do people get offended or like is it just a wild wild west i would say it's changed a little bit over time as as the culture has has moved and shifted itself i think that listen we're still at the asshole edge of it <laughs> but i think that asshole edge has moved into like a, a like a nicer place but back when we started nothing was off limits like everything like one of the funniest longest runs we ever went on is i don't i don't know if the name pat tillman means anything to you but he was so he was pat tillman was an nfl player and then so 9-11 happened and everybody you know decided we needed to go to war in the middle east pat tillman left his football team to go to war and was like revered as this hero and so he gets killed, which is tragic. Like he gets killed in the war, but then it kind of, the story kind of leaks out that like, it was like, whoops, we accidentally killed him ourselves. Like we, he was shot by friendly fire. So we went on, we did this long run with Peter, like Peter Griffin being in the war in Iraq and the sergeant like barking out orders to a platoon. And Peter just kept saying, you know, the sergeant would be like, okay, man, we're going to wake up at 6 a.m. We're going to take that enemy bunker. And Peter's like, okay, got it. Wake up at 6 a.m. Shoot Pat Tillman in the head. And they're like, like, no, 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 no. We don't shoot Pat Tillman in the head. We're taking the enemy bunker. And like, it was just a very long, drawn out version of that. And so thing was making us laugh so much. And it actually got animated. It It didn't make it into the show because the censors were like, no fucking way. 
And, but it made it like into some weird extras like pocket where you could kind of see it. And then one day, Pat Tillman's brother called us up to tell us how much he enjoyed it. And he oh, and wow. his reason was because he felt like the government was really trying to kind of cover its own ass in that. And the fact that we kept saying that he was shot by his own people was like a he was like happy that people were remembering that story. But that was particularly mean. We were obviously also on the leading edge of making 9-11 jokes because we started up again in 2004. So 9-11 is not that long ago at that point. And we instantly, Seth, uh, you know, has his own 9-11 story. I don't know if you know that uh, piece of folklore about him, but. No, no, we don't. He was five minutes late to one of the planes. Oh, yeah. yeah, oh, yeah, my God. yeah I forgot. They didn't, they didn't let him on. They didn't let him on the plane. So we all have careers now because of that. But <laughs> so God, yes. Seth was always kind of weirdly into like 9-11 humor because I think that it, it helped him like deal with his fear of like what holy fuck, look what almost happened. Um, but we were telling 9-11 jokes since like 2004 or five. Why do you think things have changed so much? Is it because of like uh, the pressure from from the, the Internet and like how everything in the culture has changed as well? I think and like I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. Like I think comedy and stuff like that has changed through the years all the time. Like whether yeah. it be like the comedy of the 30s and 40s didn't work in the 60s, you know, and like the comedy of the 60s and 70s didn't work in the 90s when things were getting a little more progressive, like even then. And now, obviously, today, the country is going through another one of these, you know, sort of a social change. And of course, there are sometimes when I am saddened by the loss of words that you can no longer say and, and jokes that you can no longer do. But I also think that it's it's all like for the best, like, yeah, like you, you just can't be a total dinosaur and still s stay relevant. So right. and also, I think as the writers rooms change, you know, your writers room gets more diverse. It's filled with more women and more people of color, which is good because it gives you extra funny points of view that I wouldn't have. Like, I don't know, a, a you know, a black man's experience in this country. And I'm just like, I don't know a woman's experience. So you get all these different voices who can add funny jokes along the way. You also have to be mindful of like, oh, this isn't a room filled with like 17 white dudes anymore. So I can't just like, <laughs> you know, I can't make it like the frat house, you know, of 2000. But I, I think it's all good. And it, especially if you're a real comedy writer, you can always adjust to, to what's going on. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the edge has kind of changed, but it's still a safe space to go to the edge. Totally. You know, that's a good thing about our room still is that if people go over the line and in, in pitching certain jokes or going for certain topics, there's we don't have a room where it's like you're going to be shamed or canceled or whatever the fuck. It's like you can try stuff. And if it's over the edge, then now there are just more people to tell you that that's over the edge. Were you guys getting a lot of like pressure from like network guys over the last couple of years because of all that like cancel culture and, and all that? Or were they kind of still letting you guys do what you wanted to do? No, I think if anything, the network would like wanted us to keep pushing because oh, really? I think, yeah, I think the network understands like how family guy is popular and, and how family guy continues to make them money. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to fuck with that. I think if it were up to them, like, you know, they would let us say the shit we said 20 years ago. 
<laughs> but I think that they're they're fine as long as we can continue to kind of like push buttons and you know as as we go. Okay. What percentage of stuff do you guys come up with that's like too much to go to get into the show? It's an, it's an interesting question because now I think so many of the people on that staff have been there for a really long time. There are people who we consider like newer writers who have been there for like 10 years. So everybody knows now, especially now with the pandemic and we're on Zoom and, you know, we have to get the work done that way. There's an understanding of how we are best and most efficient. And I think that everybody now kind of understands where the line is. So we try to, you know, either straddle it or come down on the right side of it. And we don't waste too much time like on shit that's we know is never going to fly. So people are savvy enough now where they understand that like, yeah, this might be a funny run that I'm going on about like, you know, a special needs child, but we're never going to put this on the air. Right. So from the actual like writing perspective of it, like for episodes of family guide, you get like a rough idea of like, this is the episode and you kind of have to fill in like all the jokes or like the, the funny bits. Is that what you guys are kind of doing in that writing room? Yeah. So it's a mixture of things. There are different parts of the process. Most of the story ideas come as like a one or two sentence thought, you know, like, wouldn't it be funny if Peter did this, you know, if, if, Peter had his arms torn off and they were growing back the entire episode. Like, wouldn't that be funny? And then we would, as a room, we need three acts, you know, for each show. So we would outline the three acts, like what kind of scenes would we have? Well, we'd have the scene where Peter was very excited to go out to a dance. And then we'd have the scene at the dance where his arms actually ripped off. And that would be the end of act one, because that's like kind of an exciting moment. And then act two, it would be like Peter starting to try and deal with the fact that he has tiny little nub arms and like what would be funny to see him shaking people's hands, high fiving, trying to play tennis, whatever it is. And then by the end of act two, it's like, all right, everybody's sick of Peter having little arms. And then Peter in act three has got to like leave town because he feels ostracized. And then how do we get him back by the end of act three? So it's just filling in like we know we need six scenes in each act. What are they generally? And then once we have the outline in place, we can go over more with a fine tooth comb and say like, okay, well, in this scene, what would be like two or three funny jokes? And then a writer will go off and write the script with the scenes in place and a few jokes already kind of like pitched out. And then when we get the first draft back, we'll rewrite it. We'll read it and at a table read in front of uh, a lot of people. Based on that reaction, we'll rewrite it again. And then it starts to get animated. You kind of start out with like one or two like broad, like comedic things that are going to happen. And then you, then you try to write a story where that happens. Exactly. Okay. That's cool. Exactly right. So I was, I was always wondering, cause like just writing jokes seems different than like, like trying to push someone's push a narrative. You know what I mean? Um, so I was, I was, I've always wondered how, how you kind of balance those two things. Yeah. And it's interesting. It is quite a balance because sort of zany and joke to joke as family guy can be, it is sort of in disguise. It's very story driven. You have to keep in mind like, okay, where's the story going? How is it moving forward? But then also within that, there's the freedom to just totally sidetrack and do like a cutaway or zany shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
it's a nice balance. So nothing is excluded. Like even if somebody pitches, if somebody pitches something hilarious that has nothing to do with the story, we can usually find a way to like put it in somewhere. You, you guys have like a big bag of cutaway ideas that you, you kind of throw in joke like, bank. <laughs> yeah, we do. We have something called the binder and, okay. uh, you know, somebody pitches like a funny joke. That's not quite right for a certain area or a certain episode. We'll say, we'll put it in the binder. You know, and then that binder is coming useful a lot. You know, we'll we'll say sometimes like we'll be like, well, let's look at the binder. Do we have anything The the jokes can kind of live in a sort of purgatory if they haven't quite made it into an episode? And then if they can make it from the binder back into a show, that's pretty cool. That's cool. And do you like you go through and like purge it every once in a while? Just get rid of like, all right, this stuff's just way too old to make like references now or totally. That happens a lot where we'll be like, let's look at the binder. And then we'll look at like six things on a computer screen. And we're like, all right, we'll get rid of all this shit. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what we were thinking, putting this in the binder, but get it out of here. So when you work on a show with a, with a really long history like that, how, how do you come up with new ideas? How do you make sure that you, that you're not covering this, something you've covered before, you know, like how how do you keep it fresh? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's an issue that we face every week, you know, uh, when we're, when we're doing stuff. Um, I think the answer to that is like, again, we have a lot of writers. We try to draw from stuff that happens in our real life so that the stories are, you know, seem fresh or real in some way. Plausible and also, to some extent. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And uh, But also we have writers who have been on the show from day one, like from before I was there, you know, from 1999. And a, a couple of these writers have an encyclopedic memory of things That's that have good. been on the show. So they're very good, very useful to have around because they'll say like, no, 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 we can't do that. We've done that already. You did mention the, the animation. Um, I know it takes like roughly about almost a year to from like when you write the episode and draft it up and then you send it to them. You have a problem with like stuff being like topical and no longer topical, like when you get the animation back or you kind of just roll with it. Well, we do. And it's, it it's, a combination of rolling with it and also we get to rewrite it a few times along the production so like we'll get another another couple bites at the apple before it airs so if there's some reference that like a year later is like nobody remembers that already <laughs> we have a chance to change it and also we have a chance to add something that may be topical and it's only like a month old when it comes out on the air okay and how did uh, Ted come about? I know you worked with Seth on that. Yeah, that was all Seth's idea. So Seth had the the basic storyline of Ted in his mind. Like, you know, I remember him pitching it to me and saying like, yeah, what if a kid made a wish that his childhood teddy bear would come to life? And it did. And then we fast forward to, you know, 25 years later and they're still living together and it's like an R-rated buddy comedy. And so that was all his idea, which is a great idea. And then from there, it was just, again, like Family Guy, it was a lot of figuring out the outline. You know, there in a movie, there are also three acts, uh, but they're longer. Mm-hmm. So we had to figure out like, okay, well, what are the scenes and what are the different relationships and what other characters are there and all that kind of stuff. So, but in terms of the initial idea, that was 100% set. Apart from it being like uh, being just longer acts that you're writing, like what, what were some things that were different about writing that as opposed to uh, like a 20 minute show? Yeah, well, there was a lot that was different. I mean, the length of it was, a, you know, obviously the biggest thing. 
it was it had some similarities in that it was kind of like it had that Boston comedy slant, which, you know, Family Guy has sort of that New England bent. And Ted certainly has the Boston slant in spades. And Ted is an animated character. So it was there was a little bit of familiarity there in terms of, of writing it. But the thing with movies that's different is obviously like when you're there actually making the movie, your actors are on set and they're doing the scene. There can come and it happened every day where Seth would come to us and or somebody would come to us and say, like, we need like two new jokes for this scene because this scene isn't working. So whereas on Family Guy, you write things they're getting made and then you they air like a month later you know with with the movie it's like we need something now you know we need something in the next half an hour and i i actually really love those situations because i feel like that's where like i sort of thrive is when thing the immediacy of it the speed of of coming up with something I would often find myself and we we filmed Ted in I want to say like 2010 or 11 whenever whenever we got Bin Laden that's when we were filming it um but uh, so because I remember being in a hotel room when uh, they were like and now a speech from the president of the United States I was like please don't let this be there's an asteroid coming and it was like oh good okay it was just we killed somebody so yeah I remember and so we had those older phones i think i had a flip phone maybe at that point and i was like i just remember texting like 12 jokes on my flip phone <laughs> to, to seth like who was sitting like 10 feet away and like we would sit there texting him alts you know he needed jokes 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 and like we would wait for him to finally like turn to us and be like okay like we got it you know like, <laughs> all right you we can put the phone down now and what was like some of the, the lessons like you learned? I know you mentioned uh, Ted Two. Uh, only the first half, or only half of it was good. Yeah, which uh, which half, by the way? Yeah, <laughs> I would say the first half. The first half. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I th- the beginning of Ted Two. I think is very funny, and then I think it kind of goes off the rails a little bit with like the bit. long courtroom scenes, and then it goes to Comic Con, which is a little strange. But <laughs> it, it's interesting because the there's a very long courtroom scene in Ted two where I think things kind of like sort of ground to a halt. And ironically, I wrote that entire scene. Like <laughs> I remember because the way, the way that my, I was going to say you went on vacation or something. That's why I know. The, no, no, no. Last half was my, bad. Way, thanks for trying to cover for me. But, uh, <laughs> I take responsibility. So my writing partner and I would divide the script, you know, one scene, me, one scene, him, one scene, me. And we just go sequentially. So it came to me that I had to write this courtroom scene. Usually when you're writing, you kind of overwrite it and think that it'll get cut down. So I'm writing this long courtroom scene and, and I love like law and order and all that shit. So I'm like drawing on all this law and order stuff and using all the legal jargon and all that. And it was really one of the only things that I've ever written for Seth where when he got the scene, he was like, I love this. We're not changing anything. Oh, and wow. then, then like it was so long and he refused to like cut it down. And so I, it's like, it became uncomfortable for me because as a writer, all you want to hear is somebody saying, Oh my God, I love this. Do the whole thing. And then you watch it and you're like, it's too long. Like, <laughs> cut it. I know I wrote this, but please. So I thought the first half of Ted two was, was really funny. And like, just, you know, you re-engage with Ted and, and John and, and, and you're getting a lot of funny jokes about them smoking pot and they just whatever. 
And then when it got to the intense sort of story portion of it in the second half, I kind of felt like it bogged down a little bit. And I, I know like, I mean, those, those movies were, were comedic, but there was also like some actual like story and it was a little dramatic. Like, yeah. is it hard writing like non-comedic stuff for you or not really? So much easier. We've heard that before. It is so much easier. Drama is easier. So much easier to write drama than comedy. With drama, like there's nothing really expected of anyone. I mean, you expect <laughs> to kind of like convey this thing where like people care about something or whatever, but for comedy writers to write, like to have somebody say to you, and this scene should be pretty straight and dramatic. You're like, great. Like that's, <laughs> that is the easiest thing to write. So I think that uh, that again, with that courtroom scene, like that was the sort of mandate of like, this mm-hmm. is the story and we need to get these points across and it has to feel real. And I'm like, okay, good. So yeah, as a comedy writer, writing drama is like a piece of cake. It's great. Yeah, do, do you think it's um part of it is that, that you're allowed to take yourself seriously when you're writing drama, whereas with like with comedy, you always have to kind of acknowledge the the absurdity at every moment? Well, absolutely. And I think that you're allowed to take yourself seriously. And also you're allowed to take time off from having to have a joke like every half of a page <laughs> or more. You know, when you're writing family guides, more than that. To just not have the pressure of having to have like a great joke. You know, at every every spot along the way, it just it it just takes a lot of pressure off you. And do you do any other like type of writing, like you know, like romance writing or anything like that? Or it's just comedy. And I, I would say, like, I don't even really write drama. Like, just in those just in those few moments. Gotcha. Yeah, my my wife encourages me to do other kinds of writing, and she's probably right, but I'm not going <laughs> to let her have that satisfaction. <laughs> I could try and get in the law and order uh, writing room. That's right. I would love that. I would take that job <laughs> okay. any day. I love law. And okay. Order. <laughs> Something that I kind of find interesting is that like uh, people that are real comedy fans, and, you know, and like comics and stuff like that, their their sense of humor is a little bit more, uh, I, I guess, developed, and they're they're not as likely going to be like like laughing at hacky jokes and stuff like that because they've heard it all before. Um, but like like when you when you watch like sitcoms that tend to be become popular, you know, like that's a lot of times that's the kind of comedy that's coming across and that, that's popular. And I was I was wondering like what what is it like having to write those kinds of jokes for that you know that kind of, like if if you've ever had to had to uh, deal with that kind of uh, thing. I have, and again, it's incredibly liberating. It's almost it's it's, <laughs> it's almost like the drama thing we were talking about before, where it's like oh, you only want this level of comedy, like down here, the stuff of like, sort of like that went well, you know, like those kind of jokes. Like if you want to have that went well and check please. And, you know, all those kinds of jokes, like, you know, that we can do that in our sleep. So when you get a show, like, I mean, and I don't want to shit on friends, like friends was a a little bit better than that. Like they had, they they had legitimately funny stuff. How much it's in between. It's good when you're 12, you know what I mean? You haven't heard anything yet. Yeah, yeah well, it's funny. I, I sort of have an existential crisis with friends because it was hugely popular when I was in my 20s. I think by the end of it, I was totally like sick of it and over it and felt like it was hacky bullshit and, and syrupy. And I didn't care about the soap opera angles of it, the romance. I did not care. And I always sort of dismissed it in my mind. And now, of course, as everyone knows, it's, it's on uh, HBO Max now, so you can watch it. So just for fun, I started rewatching some of it. And I was like, it's actually a lot better than I gave it credit for. They, But a lot of the magic is in the casting. Like they they yeah. cast like an incredible group of people who could all nail 
like their style of joke. So I have to give them begrudging credit after after many years <laughs> that they actually do a very good job. But that said, I still feel like it would have been an easier writer's room to be in than like Family Guy or something. Because, you know, Family Guy, you're always charging for like the crazy or like the out there or the hurtful or the, you know, the something like that. Whereas Friends, you could do nice people comedy. Why do you think that's uh, more popular for the masses? Well, I think it's easier for them to understand. Like, I, you know, it, that's the thing. And like, I'm sure you guys have some version of this, you know, with maybe people, you know, if you're hanging out in a group with like a five or six people and you're all watching something and the, and the, and like four of them bust out laughing at some like hacky thing. And you're like, what, why the, why the <laughs> fuck are you laughing at that? But then you just have to, at a certain point, acknowledge that like, that's what more of the population wants to see. And not everybody's like as dark and weird as you are. So you have to acknowledge that some people are just kind of happy in their lives and just want to be made to laugh with something pretty simple. Yeah. Even like age, age and all, like, uh, like a lot of that stuff is not really age dependent. Like uh, a six year olds go laugh at it. 12 year olds go laugh at it. A 35 year olds go laugh at it. Like it's, it's just kind of universal comedy. Totally right. I know you, you're a producer for Family Guy. What does actual, a producer actually do? Well, see, the, this is where the, those titles are misleading. Okay. Like, we, we don't do anything producerial. I mean, you start to over time. Having been at Family Guy for many, many years, you become more involved in the production side of it. Like, you know, being at voiceover recordings and, and watching early stages of drawings for new characters and giving notes about that. But when you see all those names at the beginning of Family Guy and it's saying co-producer, executive producer, co-executive producer, that's nothing but just glorified titles for writer. <laughs> and all you can take from that is when somebody has the name executive producer in front of their name, that means they're making a lot of money <laughs> like cool. for, for that show. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you did mention like, like COVID, like doing it via Zoom. Like, have you guys had struggles uh, writing for Family Guy during uh, COVID? You know, thankfully, not at all. And okay. again, I think that's a credit to having many writers on staff and having so many writers who have been there for such a long time that we all know what it takes to get an episode done and like how to do that. And I would weirdly say, if anything, uh, the Zoom has made us more efficient. Like there's just not as much time to like fuck around and go grab a snack or just go to your office and, and then come back. Like you're kind of forced to be in frame like we are now and engage with a problem until you solve it. And I think that it's a credit to the to the writers on staff and many of whom have been there for a very long time. Like we all have a pretty good idea of how to do that by now. So Zoom and the pandemic have been okay for us. And especially, you know, not having to have actors on the stage and all that kind of shit. It just really helps that we're a cartoon. <laughs> gotcha. So you've been doing a podcast for about a year now, right? Uh, less, but yeah, less than a year? recently, recently. Yeah. The last few months. Typical disgusting display, right? A writer's podcast for writers that hate writing. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you hate writing? I mean, objectively, yes, I do. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a very lazy person and I, I've sort of gotten to this place in my career, luckily, where 
the, the, the more successful you get as a writer, the less you have to write, which is like a, a like this wonderful <laughs> thing. So I, I think we, we called the podcast that just kind of as like a, we thought it was a, a funny sounding title, but there is a, a kernel of truth in that. It's just like, don't ask me to write anything like stop, you know? So we, we, uh, we enjoy kind of playing or into that character, let's say. So what, what, um, what, what kind of topics do you guys cover on that cast? Well, we cover a lot, you know, uh, I was, t- I do it with my friend, uh, Julius Sharp, AKA John Goldblatt, who's also written for family guy for a long time. And he and I actually met doing stand up in New York way back when in the mid nineties. And he's a hilarious guy. Like he always makes me laugh. So we had always, or we had thought like, Hey, let's do this podcast together. And we finally got our shit together when somebody said okay i'll produce it because that's what we (laughs) didn't know what the fuck we were doing so once somebody said like i'll cut it i'll edit it i'll upload it we're like great now we can do it but we cover a lot of stuff there and i'm sure as you may know or have seen i just we were reading a lot of shit about how a lot of millennials and gen z like a really high percentage of people said that their dream job was to like write for television, which was, it was like almost 10%. So we felt like, okay, there's an audience of people who might be interested in something like this. And so every week we talk about different things. We talk about like, what kind of spec script should you write? Like what kind of agency should you look for? What, how do you deal with agents? what kind of uh, sitcom do you want to write? Do you want to write a multi-cam or a single cam? We talk about how do you deal with people at the network? Like how do you deal with other personalities in your writer's room? Like we kind of try to cover as many topics as we can that pertain to writing, even if it's just oh so loosely, but we're, you know, we're finding that there's kind of a lot of material to sort of deal with there. We sometimes we just have guests because then you don't have to think of anything. (laughs) Yeah, no, we, we, uh, we, we can understand that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, you know, just like extract, uh, content from other people. Yeah. So but at great. least your podcast <laughs> is, is titled this weekly discussions. So like, you're <laughs> off the hook. You can always talk to somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of your podcast. All, Cause like, it, like you said, it is helping like the next generation because like a lot of that stuff is like trade secrets and that you guys are like openly talking about it. That's, that's really cool and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds yeah. very useful. It's, yeah. it's, it's fun for us to talk about, because I think that as writers, you don't get a chance really to talk about that kind of stuff publicly that often. Like you can, you know, other writers have that shorthand where they can talk to each other about the process and things that happen and nightmare scenarios and like dream scenarios. So it's fun to be able to talk about that to people who really don't know much about it. So as, as your as your understanding of the process and like in your own experience deepened through uh, through doing the podcast, I think it has. You know, I think it forces you to at least verbalize the thoughts you have about writing. That can be very helpful. And sometimes you stumble into something that you weren't even you didn't even realize that you thought, but that yeah. that you do really think. So it it is fun to have a dedicated, like you guys have a dedicated 45 minutes plus to talk about a certain theme. And by the time you're done talking about it, you realize like, oh yeah, I just brought up like these five different aspects of this particular thing that I I don't know that I would have thought of them all together had I not been doing this podcast. So it's, it's pretty cool in that way. 
That's great. Yeah. Do you guys listen to your podcast yourself? Like, do you, will you listen to your own stuff? I, I edit. So I listen to it so many times I get sick of it. It's, it's very, it's difficult for me to listen to, to it. Cause like, I, I'm very critical. So like, I have to, I have to, I force myself to that because I want us to get better, but. Well, I think you guys, I think you guys are doing a great job. Like I, oh, I, thank I, you. I, I see nothing in here. That's like an alarm bell. Like what the hell are these <laughs> guys doing? <laughs> and believe me, I've been on some podcasts like that. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, shout them out. Fuck them. Fuck this guy. No, we, we, we literally heard like horror stories of like people going on other people's podcasts and like, especially with like comedy. Like we had one comedian, he was telling us like a guy basically got him on his podcast and just asked him to tell him funny shit. It's just like, that's, that's kind of weird and cringy. Like he's also just started going into like all these like terrible terrible yeah. premises like uh, yeah uh, do you think women, women are in funny? comedy yeah like just like oh. loaded questions it's like uh. it's so weird <laughs> so i i know we talked briefly in the, in the pre-show about uh your tv series dads and yeah. i was i, I was kind of curious from like a network perspective of like creating a show like what limits it or what gets it to that where they will renew it for a second season like why 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 wasn't it chosen to get renewed well, you know, I think interestingly, it was a close call. I know that we had uh, good relationships with the executives at Fox. It was not their fault that the show did not work. They really wanted it to work and they pushed it quite hard. Like it doesn't happen much anymore because network television is so fucked because of streaming. But mm-hmm. like 10 years ago, when we were making that show or a little less, they still network television was still the king each network would still pick a couple of shows each year to like really push like we want this show to succeed we really think you're going to like this show and dad's was definitely that show for fox because it was coming off of ted and so they used like the guys who created ted are going to bring you dads they were really pushing that and then like critics just hated the show people didn't like the show and they weren't watching it was like that weird dead zone where it was like it wasn't quite a flop with the numbers but it definitely wasn't as high as they wanted it to be so i think they were strongly considering bringing it back and it actually took myself and my writing partner uh wellesley wild who is still my writing partner at that time we basically went to them and said, don't bring us back. Because the the first season was such a fucking nightmare in certain uh, ways. Like in many ways, I loved it. The writer's room was great. It was so fun. And we had a lot of fun actually shooting the shows, you know, and we were laughing a lot along the way, but people didn't like it. Like they just weren't buying it. They did not want to watch it. And it became difficult to manage the actors week after week Uh, because they are hearing that people hate it and so they're questioning what we're doing as writers like what the fuck are you guys sending us out there with week after week that everyone hates and we're like we think it's hilarious we don't know what's wrong with all those people watching it so it became this situation where like in order for the show to just limp along for more seasons we would have had to change it to make the actors happy and that would have made us unhappy and like the whole dance we would have had to go through just to be like a kind of like a like almost like a superstore like a show that was just ignored and on the air would have been far too soul crushing for us so we kind of just said like listen this was sort of the titanic like let's just let it sink 
do you have a sense of what what it was about the show that the public didn't respond to didn't like well i know right out of the gate so in our pilot episode we had a scene where we had this very uh talented and incredibly gorgeous actress named brenda song i don't know if you know her probably recognize her if you saw yeah she actually got married to macaulay culkin i think just recently we just had a kid with him or something so anyway she's this gorgeous asian actress and so in the pilot there was a scene where you know it sounds like a very sitcom scenario there was like a scene where at the business uh, in dads there was a group of chinese investors that were going to invest in the company maybe and so in order to impress them we had this actress brenda song dress up as like a japanese schoolgirl, and like i i have to take a hundred percent of the blame for that because i thought it was funny i thought she looked incredibly hot and i was just like everybody's gonna love this this is hilarious <laughs> well turns out we basically started the me too movement because like everyone <laughs> everyone hated that like they were all just like how dare they and objectify and what are they doing so it was like we had a flat tire right as the race started also i think in that moment in in sort of comedic history there was a little bit of seth mcfarland fatigue mm. it was like okay, family guy had come back. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll allow that to happen. There are some people who sort of feel like family guy is the, you know, Simpsons, ugly uh, step brother or something, <laughs> but family guy was un- undeniably successful and it was back. And so people were like, okay, if you like family guy, fine, let it exist. And then Ted came out. Ted was a huge smash and everyone's like, okay, well, maybe this McFarland guy's got, something but then when it was like okay here's what's next and it had seth's name on it as well i think people were like no that's enough (laughs) we've had enough of seth and his shenanigans and we don't care about the people who created ted we don't want to have any more just enough so i think it was a combination of like our miscalculations in terms of like we think people are going to think this japanese schoolgirl's hilarious (laughs) and also just people being like we don't want any more of this sort of Seth MacFarlane, you know, sort of R-rated comedy in our lives. If you can go back and change anything, what would be like the the changes you would have done knowing like retrospectively the negative success? I think I would have hung myself. No, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it saved everyone the time and energy. No, I, I mean, I certainly would change the, the Japanese schoolgirl thing because mm-hmm. Listen, I was totally behind that and felt like it was a great idea. Clearly, I was wrong about that. So I would change that. And I feel like sometimes it's just a little thing like that that gives every critic the excuse to like shit all over the show. And maybe if they didn't have that excuse, then it would have had like a stronger beginning that maybe the momentum of it would have carried it into a season two and people it wouldn't have been on people's radar as this thing to like be angry about. So I would definitely have changed that. But other than that, I loved the writing staff on that show and we laughed a ton. So I, I wouldn't change any of those guys in that room. All right. We, we do have one other thing we wanted to ask you about uh, the Ted TV show. Yeah. So it's uh, it's going to be on Peacock. It's a prequel. Oh, okay. nice. It's going to be Ted and a younger John. So it's mm-hmm. no longer clearly Mark Wahlberg, but it's going to be like a kid who's a teenager, ostensibly. And it's about them going through like it's set in 1993. The good thing about that is, 
you're able to write the harder, different kind of jokes that you could write in 1993 that you can now no longer write. Yeah, the classic 90s humor. <laughs> yeah, so you can kind of get it in the back door that way. My involvement in the show is is not like hands on. I'm not on the staff, but Seth has sent me the first few scripts to look at and try and like add some jokes to. And they're very funny. Like, I think if you liked Ted, like, I think you'll really love the show. And it might I, I you know, I can't say that it would necessarily be better, but I think it could be just as good in many spots. And especially the fact that each show is only a half an hour it it takes away that problem with Ted two where it was like too long. I think it's going to be really funny. Awesome. Is it R rated uh, since it's on their streaming service? Oh yeah, it'll it'll okay. be, it, it's R rated. A lot of cursing, a lot of you know all, all that kind of stuff. Nice. That sounds cool. Looking forward to watching that. Yeah, me too. So we usually ask uh, one last question as well. Any aspiring words for any anyone that wants to get into writing or producing uh, for a television show? Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from the instant joke of don't, um, (laughs) the the second thing is now it's like, I think you're in a good place. If you want to, if you're thinking about doing that now for a couple of reasons, one is there are so many more platforms now, you know, it's not just three networks that are releasing, you know, two and a half, three shows a year that you have that everybody's fighting to get on the same writing staff. It's, you know, as we just said, it's Peacock, it's Hulu, it's Netflix, it's HBO Max. It's so many places now that are, and even more than that, you know, there are just new streaming platforms popping up all the time. So the, the opportunities are there. And another good thing about today and the, the way things are going is like, you can make funny videos on Instagram. You can make YouTube videos. You can make funny TikToks. You there was a period of time five or six years ago where we were, when, when we were hiring people on family guy, we would look at their Twitter, you know, like it, it, there are these modern ways of being funny that didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago that are now everywhere where if we get something and somebody says like, Oh, consider this writer here, are like five of his TikToks. If they're really funny, like that person is probably going to get hired. So the idea that like you can create something in 45 seconds, like in your bedroom or on your couch and have that really actually help you get a job, I think is pretty cool. So I think young people who are looking to get into this stuff now have many great ways to showcase themselves. Yeah. Cause even like, like technology wise, like it's so much easier to like put something up online and all you can edit it right from like your your MacBook or like there, it's a lot easier. It's to, totally yeah. from your phone, yeah. Yeah, yeah, even your phone, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Alec, it's been an absolute blast having you on our podcast tonight. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Really, really enjoyed it. Hey, thank you guys for having me. I I yeah. love your vibe. Oh, thank can you. I tell you, you guys have a great vibe. I, I enjoy. I don't know if I get sort of hypnotized by the beards. Uh, Seamus, you have this look to you like where with the beard and the face you have the face of like mona lisa have you ever oh, yeah. noticed that i haven't you noticed have like, that you have like a da vinci <laughs> painted face and then you coming off of it it's all very it's working for you so i'm loving the beard that both of you guys have and you know uh josh your beard looks very supple and product 
So, uh, <laughs> you know, keep that going. But I, I, I appreciate you guys having me and you guys were a blast. No, thank you so much. Where can our listeners find more of you and your work and, and all that awesome stuff? Well, you can listen to the podcast, a typical disgusting display. It's wherever, you know, wherever you look for podcasts. And, uh, I mean, I, I, at the beginning of the pandemic, I kind of went nuts on Instagram and was like posting, uh, videos all the time. I don't do it as much now, but I still love kind of posting fun things on there. So, and then family guy, you know, if you want to watch family guy, I think the episodes are still really funny. I think we've had a couple of really great ones this year. So check those out. Nice. Cool. 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 Yeah, we really appreciate talking tonight. It's been an no absolute problem. awesome Thank night. You, so. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Thanks, guys. Right, thanks, All Alex. Have a, night. Right, have a good night. Have a good night. You too. Right, bye-bye. Oh, man, Alec was, was really cool. Like, I'm really yeah, glad was, we got to talk cool. to him tonight. Yeah, it was... I love that he compared me to like uh, a creation of one of the greatest artists uh, we've, that we know. That was, that was wonderful. Yeah, I'll add it to our, our reel, so we'll have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and I, we, we got a vibe, huh? We got a, got a good vibe going on. I'm just, I'm just interested in all the nice things you said. Nothing that, like, not, nothing else. <laughs> I, I always, I always appreciate that. Like, I believe, like, everyone, like, when they, they're saying stuff like that, it, it is true. It's they're not being constant. They're not, they're not being full of it. Like, I, I, it did mean a lot. Like his words and all, they're, they're very yeah. kind to us. Yeah. He's also it's also really cool. I, I love I love his perspective on writing and everything. That was that was really cool to hear. Yeah, like because like Family Guy like is almost like that's like one of the shows it's, we grew it's, up on. It's, it's iconic, like it's up yeah. there. Yeah, it's like up there with like Chappelle show for us. Like uh obviously like The Simpsons and like like stuff like Malcolm in the Middle, like just just like classic like late nineties, early two thousands type shows. I, I I think for a lot of people like in our generation and our age, that was that was probably one of the, the first time we were like seeing really uh like a lot of risks being taken like comedically. You know what I mean? I don't remember like being like, like at that age, like, like watching it. I don't remember like thinking like, Oh, this is really risky. I just remember this is funny. Like, this yeah, is just, this yeah. is hysterical. This is like the funniest shit on television kind of thing. But like, then like retroactively going back, like, wow, I would fuck to get away with this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, on, on, like, like on network, like this is like some of the stuff is so like out there and, and so crazy. And it's just like so, so, something I always, I, I also enjoyed like a lot of the pop culture references that were from like, I, I think from people that kind of grew up in the late seventies, like, yeah, 80s, yeah like, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, yeah, it kind of gave a definitely reward you on that for, like, reward you for like knowing like a bunch of like random obscure shit and some of the yeah. references like are super deep and all yeah, yeah. and like this like super super deep cuts and it's just like definitely awesome and it's cool to hear like the, the way the running room is structured and all so that's i like the concept of like a safe space to push ideas you know what i mean mm-hmm. that's, that's something that attracted me to comedy in the first place you know yeah and even like uh the, the writers themselves like they, they kind of police themselves like we're not even gonna pitch this because like obviously we know this is like way too outrageous yeah. at all which which is interesting at all because i'm curious with like the stuff they they would do they had no restraints but because <laughs> <laughs> i because I, I i wonder like how how long before somebody stops like just trying to make the room laugh you know what i mean like like, like I, I i could see i could see like not taking it seriously enough where, where you're, you're just, you're, you know, you're getting laughs. You're just trying to make people laugh and like, you're not maybe, maybe not like staying on script or like being professional about it. Yeah. I mean, cause like there has to be a time you have to like turn it off a little bit. Like, cause you can't just like be trying to light up the room the entire time and all, but at the same time, I'm, I'm, I guess those writing rooms, like you kind of have to, cause you have to, like everyone has to be kind of the funniest person in the room. So it's like kind of like an alpha dog type thing. 
where yeah. like, everyone's just trying to make each other laugh and just say the most ridiculous shit or just definitely just try to like be the funny well, person. especially especially like is you know if, like people people in there if there are any stand-ups in there i'm, I'm sure they're addicted to, to laughter you know what i mean mm-hmm. like because yeah, like, we've, we've talked to comedians and all and like when they're like around other comedians like it's just they're all just trying to like make each other laugh but like sometimes it gets like all right dude just shut the fuck up like yeah. just talk like a, like a human like let's yeah. just be people <laughs> but that's, that's the problem like you're in those writing groups I, I even like the fact that he was like yeah we're all a bunch of jackals and like we'll just tear people <laughs> up and all and I, like, I, love, awesome. I love that i love yeah. that i love i love i love the i love the idea that there's just like they, they yeah you're just you're just coming after each other like nothing's you know people aren't going to get upset you just kind of say say whatever you know what i mean the, the the other thing like like what, what you just said something made me think of something what were oh, you yeah? saying yeah i was talking about the you know, writers being jackals and oh what'd you say before that uh we were talking about oh about people just trying to be funny all the time like just around like comedians like oh, oh, oh yeah person. yeah you were like you're like just just be a human and i was thinking yeah. that's that's how like most conversations go with normal people for me <laughs> they're like you're a can you just be a human i'm like i'm i'm, I'm trying no, because like even like like from like an industry standpoint, like there's like like, like talking to like people like coworkers and all. It's just like, all right, do we really need to talk about like tech right now? Do we really need yeah, to talk? Yeah, about yeah. like yeah, it's just like that. like we just talk about like the news or just something more casual. No, it's just like I, I, news. Yeah, but like like when you're around comedians and all, it's just like joke, joke, joke. You're just like, all right, just firing them off, and, and it's just like, all right, dude, come on. I I don't know. I I, I like it. I like hanging out around comedians. Uh, I I don't disagree, but. You're not around them like 24 seven. You're not like that's uh-uh. yeah, not yet. But uh, no, Alec Alec was was awesome. Uh, I'm really glad this worked out tonight. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to support the WWSD podcast, check out our Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/WWSD_podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Whereas actors, when they're acting on a stage in front of an audience, that's their area of expertise. So there's a lot more friction in terms of like, well, one of the actors doesn't want to do this line or one of the actors doesn't want to wear, uh, you know, this sweatshirt or one. It's just all this stupid little shit that you would never think of that becomes like a big problem where you need to have a meeting backstage with all the actors. And it's like. What the hell did I sign myself <laughs> up for? <laughs> yeah, that's that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Actors, actors are very difficult. having a meeting about the wardrobe. I that, that happened. That <laughs> happened. We had uh, the, Peter Regert played one of the dads and dads, and we had like it was based on my dad. Okay, and so <laughs> my dad often would just wear, you know, like many dads out there would just wear tidy whitey underwear that was like just damaged and old and like fray and so yeah we we wrote something for a scene for him to wear that and he was like my character wouldn't wear that kind of underwear i'm like well i'm telling you your character is my dad and he does wear that kind so it became this whole thing like a really knockdown drag out about what kind of underwear he would wear it was really annoying And then it's funny, though, as a follow up to that, Peter Regert, you may not know that name. He was in Animal House, but and he was in Dads, but he was also in The Sopranos. He has a a, I don't know if you guys watch that, but 
he yeah. he plays a part in the sopranos where he plays like a city councilman who you know basically is kind of in league with the mafia and at one point he starts dating tony soprano's old girlfriend so tony kind of drunk one night goes over to the, his house and beats him with his belt and and and, and he's wearing tidy whities awesome. and, and i was thinking to myself well what the fuck he did it there and I, then i later i read an article about it where he was supposed to be naked in the Sopranos, oh, yeah. and like he refused. So I'm like, oh god, like, okay. he's just insecure about his. Penis, yeah, this guy's been a problem just... forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to show my. Pe- I wouldn't show my penis on HBO, but uh, you know, it depends how much money. But yeah, sure. Yeah, so the the, the, the tidy whiteies are probably just a little. They show they probably reveal too much for him. I know. know. I know.